mindfulness mode. The body has an innate wisdom within it. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. And if you've been following the show, you know that I've graduated from the Cascade Hypnosis Center. I'm now a a licensed hypnotist. And if you have been just putting off this whole idea of losing weight and you've tried so many things and you just can't seem to, and maybe you've even started to think, you know what, I'm just destined to be the way I am. I'm destined to be this size. I just give up. I can't do a thing about it. You know what? You can do something about it. You can get help and I am the one that can help you. So reach out to me, Bruce, at mindfulnessmode.com and put weight loss in the subject line and we'll have a free consultation. I will help you use mindfulness and I will use hypnosis and together you will feel like a different person. And I know I feel like a different person because I've lost 35 pounds since January and I've done that through hypnosis and mindfulness. So yeah, so send me an email and we'll get started. And right now, just sit back, relax and enjoy today's episode. Mindful Tribe, do you ever feel like you want to be reminded on a daily basis about staying mindful and staying grounded? Well, I have the guests for you today because their book is amazing at doing just that. It's a beautifully written book and it is just filled with wisdom and filled with all kinds of mindfulness references. I'm here today with the authors of this beautiful new book and uh, I'll tell you the book is called A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection and the Sacred in Everyday Life. So I'm here with Seth Gillahan and Dr. Arya Campbell-Danish. So Seth, what got you, well, first of all, before I ask you this question about the book, which I'm really excited to do, uh, I wanna ask you, are you in mindfulness mode first, Seth? Are you in mindfulness mode? (laughs) Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for that warm introduction. I appreciate your, your kind words. You know, it's actually, it's a great question because as you ask that, I would probably say, no, I was anticipating what is Bruce about to ask, right? And thinking about how am I going to answer it? How am I going to come across? So, so now I'm finding myself more aligned with what's actually happening in the present and not trying to solve the future before it happens. But, but yes, that's exactly the kind of reminder we need so we can step back into what's really going on. And Aria, how about you? Are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm cruising in a mindfulness mode. I'd say I'm in like year three or four. I'm probably going to shift into five or six after 10, 15 minutes. So there's a lot of good things to come to. So Seth, in a very concise way, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, in the most concise way, I I think of it now as coming home to ourselves. But to make that a little more specific, it's being in the present, focused on what's happening right now in an open way, in a way that's not resisting what's happening or insisting it should be different than it is. It's letting reality be reality. And Aria, what about you? What does mindfulness mean to you? Well, I'm a very simple man, so I like to keep things simple. Uh, In its essence, for me, mindfulness is awareness. And then we can ask awareness of what? And it's of our inner experience, our thoughts, our emotions, our, our bodily sensations, and our outer experience what's happening around us, who's in front of us, life as, as it continues. 
And so cultivating mindfulness for me is encourages you to be grounded, to be present and to be more aware of, of what's happening, which really is the most infinitely practical skill you can develop. So Seth, tell us a little background, how you and Arya met and how you came to the point that you decided to write this book. Great. So Arya was a phenomenal student in a course I taught, undergraduate course at the University of Pennsylvania called Anxiety and the Brain. He was a standout. We developed a, a nice connection as student and professor. And then when the course was over, we really developed a friendship. And as the years went on, we kept in touch. And each of us was really drawn to mindfulness and was growing in our, our mindfulness practice. And, and yet we're finding that it was so easy to lose connection with the things that are most important to us. And so we thought, you know, maybe there has to be a way to cultivate this deliberately so that we can live in closer connection to what we care about. And so that led to this book and we actually wrote it in, in real time. So we wrote one entry per day and each of us would write one to the other one day and then the other person would respond the following day. So we did the practices ourselves and then adapted them for our readers. Oh, that's a really cool way to do the project. Aria, I know that you do writing for all kinds of publications, such as Men's Health and Women's Health and and different kinds. Of, you're also an associate fellow with the British Psychological Asso Society and senior associate member of the Royal Society of Medicine. So do you do a lot of writing? Is, that, is your life filled with writing? So my time is really spent between writing, but also seeing clients. So I work with individuals actually in the area, two main areas. One is sustainable weight loss, because we found that in the West, uh, people's go-to uh, strategies to go on a diet, but the data consistently shows that what happens is that people initially lose weight, and then over a two-year period, they regain any lost weight, up to two-thirds gain more. So there's been a big drive in the UK looking at, actually, what is the psychology being able behind being able to lose weight and keep it off? And that's a method that I pioneered at UCL, uh, one of the universities where I did my doctoral research. And then I also look at high-performance psychology. So often individuals who are doing very well professionally and have achieved a lot of what society says should bring happiness, uh, power, prestige, fame, um, monetary success, but they still might be experiencing a void or that sense of discontent or dissatisfaction or that sense that maybe there's more to life than what they're currently experiencing. And I really help people from a mindset point of view to, to work through those issues that they feel blocked with and to reach a deeper layer of clarity and contentment and fulfillment. So Seth, the book, A Mindful Year, is uh, really great because it has calls to action in it, as well as a lot of wisdom. Was it, uh, was it some of your students besides Aria that kind of inspired you to create the book in this way? You know, I would say more than anything, it was probably my clinical work. So working with clients who, and, and being a patient myself, like in physical therapy where I would work on things and it was all so clear, made perfect sense. And you know, this might happen in a therapy session or a physical therapy session. We know what we need to work on. All right, I'm gonna do it. 
And then we leave and we're like, oh, wait, what was that? What was I supposed to work on? We come back the next week and we're like, oh, right. I was supposed to practice some things. And so with my clients, I would always write things down. So they had an easy takeaway Mm -hmm. for things to work on. And so in the same way, we realized if you you read this, even just a page, it's easy to, you know, agree with it, you know, enjoy what you read, hopefully, but then maybe forget it. Like, wait, what was that? What was that concept I was supposed to be practicing? So we wanted some brief reminder at the end of a way to bring that practice into our lives. So it really comes alive. It's not just words on a page. So Aria, I want to ask you about uh, your your groundedness in life and how you've been able to be grounded and authentic. And these are some of the things you talk about in the book and, and compassion too. Tell us about your journey to these three things, being grounded, authentic, and compassionate. They've all started from a place of suffering, mm. Bruce. <laughs> uh, that's certainly where my journey began. Uh, in my early 20s, my father was diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And at the time was given six months to live. Thankfully, he's still here. But that really shook me as a young man. Also, uh, my partner at the time went through a very traumatic incident. And I took on a lot of emotion with that. And working through through that sort of suffering, I remember actually my brother said, look, let's go away on holiday. And we, he took me very kindly to Mauritius and I was standing on the beach and it was a beautiful location. I was on the beach. I'd just met this, I was single and I met this Estonian woman um, who was one of the most physically beautiful women I'd ever met. The sun was shining, shining and I was deeply miserable. <laughs> and I realized that actually in life, there are two journeys. There's the external journey and there's what's happening around you. There's your career progression. Uh, the relationship you're in, what you're achieving, monetary success, cars, houses, holidays, all these things. And they're wonderful and we should work towards them. But then there's an internal journey and it's about understanding who am I? What do I stand for? What values are actually going to direct me in life? Who do I want to be? Cultivating that sense of calmness and clarity deep within. And there's for me, they're two separate journeys. And often we're, we're led to believe through society's messages that the external leads to the internal. But I think by and large, actually we need to do, we need to do the work in both ways so that we can stand independently. And I, I believe that even if you're in a relationship, it's important to, to cultivate your own relationship with yourself and sense of self so your happiness isn't dependent on your partner. Or you can have a career that you find fulfilling, but you're also working on the values in your life. So it's not just about where you get to, but it's about how you get there. Seth, what's one of the biggest challenges in your life that you could share with us? Well, I appreciate your asking, Bruce. You know, I've been I've been going through a, a, a series of health challenges for the last, wow, probably four years or so now. And I couldn't have known it at the time, but but it really reached a crescendo early in the year that Aria and I were writing to each other. So having those daily messages, I think quite literally was a lifeline at times when I, I truly felt like giving up and understood depression and despair in a way that I never had before, even working with a lot of people in those circumstances. 
So thank God things are much better now, these you know, three plus years later. It continues to, to be a struggle at times, but, but not like before. And it's really a lot of, a lot of what's been helpful through the journey. And, and I think a crucial part of, of the healing that I've experienced has been exactly these kinds of practices, the, the mental training, the uh, taking care of the body, and of course, tending to our, our sense of presence and mindfulness. Aria, I want to ask you a question about bullying. I always ask mm. a question about this on my show, and I really think that mm. bullying and mindfulness dovetail to each other. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? So first of all, I'd really like to recognize and give credit to and applaud you, Bruce, for the work that you're doing to highlight and raise awareness of this issue, but also to make people conscious of the connection that mindfulness can play in terms of bullying. And I went through, whenever I was 15, 16 years old, one of the most traumatic years of my life. I, I don't want to make it sound overly dramatic, but I was, I was bullied quite badly for a year. And it was, on an emotional level, it was horrendous. It was really horrible to endure and whenever you're a child you're often you know you're trying to make sense of who you are and make sense of um, finding friendship groups and so just first that acknowledgement that actually it is it does involve suffering but I think what I went through was I also I thought I was alone and if I could go back and speak to Aria whenever he's 15 I think a few pieces of mindful wisdom would be that this isn't about you the actions that someone else takes, it's not about you and who you are. It's about them and what they're experiencing. Whenever you're bullied, it's not because of your hair or the way you speak or the, the color of your skin or where you're from or the clothes that you've worn or what you did at the party the weekend before. It's, it's got nothing to do with that. You are just a target and it could be anyone. You could be easily replaced. It's much more about what the other individual is feeling and where they're operating from. And the irony is even though bullies often appear to be so strong, they're often operating from a place of fear and insecurity and, and often feeling lost in their own way. And if we knew what they were experiencing potentially in their family life or had experienced growing up, it would make a lot more sense. But the first thing I would say to myself is don't take on what that other person is trying to push on to you. And to find the courage to share the, those thoughts and those emotions and the, that experience with, is to share it with someone else because what kept me quiet was fear and whenever I was afraid then I just I stayed paralyzed in multiple ways and I hid I literally hid from life and I think we can even do that as adults as well we can we can get lost and we can put on a mask and we can hide we can really hide from life and hide from who we truly are and so just by, if anyone is experiencing it, just trying to find that courage to bypass those worries and fears which are in our mind and to, with courage to open your heart to share that with someone is often the first step I find to navigating your way through it. Thanks for saying that so clearly and concisely because I totally agree with that. Now, Seth, I want to ask you, you know, your book, A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection, 
and the sacred in everyday life. I just want to ask you what kind of feedback you've received from it. Can you share with us uh, some some thoughts that people have have communicated to you? Great. Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, the, the feedback has been so gratifying because, you know, you you write this thing for over a year, well, for exactly a year, but then there's the editing, there's the whole publication process. It finally comes out. It feels a bit like your baby and you have no idea how it's going to be received. And I think some of the, the feedback I've enjoyed the most, I, I have family members who told me they were reading it, an old friend that I hadn't heard from in a long time who got in touch and said he was enjoying it. So I think the those personal connections really mean a lot. And, but what, what stands out so often is people will say, you know, I'm, I'm reading the entry for today and it, it somehow miraculously seems to apply to exactly something that I'm dealing with, a decision I have to make, a struggle I'm having, a, a way I was talking to myself that wasn't helpful. So that sort of serendipity, I think our, our Ford author actually uh, pointed out, that type of kind of meeting people where they are, to me, is one of the, the funnest things to hear about. Yeah, that's that must be very, very rewarding. So, Aria, I understand that you are the creator of the FIT method, F-I-T. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, you know, a very clever acronym, um, but essentially it's, it stands for Focused Insight Training. But at its core, it's about, it's one about sustainable weight loss, but then two, also achieving, even for other individuals, achieving your health or body goals, but all from the perspective of the mind. Because a lot of the time, we know what we should be doing. You know, we know that we need to eat more healthily, we need to have four or five pieces of fruit or vegetable a day, we need to be more active, but there's a gap between what we know and what we're doing. And what's between that gap? Between that gap is our psychology. It's our, our thoughts and beliefs that we have about ourselves and even our self-concept. It's the emotions that we experience on a daily basis. You know, we eat often whenever we're frustrated or we're tense. We eat to celebrate when we're happy. And it's our environment because there's so many social and subconscious influences which actually play a much stronger part than we ever initially think in terms of what we eat and how we eat. And until you can really understand your mind and your own specific mind, how it, how it thinks and how it, and the relationship it has with food, it's going to be an uphill battle. And that's why so many people struggle with actually maintaining behavior change. And I did my doctorate in the behavior change processes involved in maintaining weight loss. And so I was very privileged to, to build up this model, three-part model of, of the mindset and the psychology which is involved in uh, eating more healthily and being more active in a sustainable way. And I find that fascinating because, you know, Aria, I don't think we teach our children to eat mm. when they're hungry. We eat because of the time of day. We eat because it's a birthday party and you eat cake. We eat because, 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 you know, there's every other reason, but not because we really are listening to our bodies and deciding if we truly are hungry. Isn't that true? Absolutely. The body has an innate wisdom within it. And the human appetite system has developed over hundreds of thousands of years. And naturally, it's a multifactorial story. You know, the environment plays a part, um, you know, food accessibility, 
uh, culture, all sorts of things. But what we do know is that obesity wasn't an issue in the past. And even the concept of the calorie is man-made. It was socially constructed in the 18th century. So for the longest time, we listened to our bodies and we were in tune with our bodies. We ate when we're hungry and we stopped when we're satisfied. And you're right, we're often taught to take on these external rules and we lose touch with our body. And so one of the biggest parts of the work that I do with clients is getting back in touch so that people are a lot more connected to what they need. And then that guides them. And like you're saying, it starts with children. I was told so many times, you need to eat everything on your plate, even if you're full, because there are children in Africa and you will be hurting them if you don't finish everything on your plate. <laughs> so I, I studied philosophy at university. We can, we can go through the premises, but actually it's not a logical conclusion. <laughs> and so we often, you know, like you're saying, we lose, we lose touch. And, 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 and when I'm working with parents, often light bulbs open up in their mind and they actually change their, the, the way that they help their children in terms of their relationship with food. Thank you for that. Seth, I want to ask you a little bit more about anxiety and stress, but I want to ask you about how you deal with it personally in your own life. What are your routines? Do you meditate? What are some of the things you do to deal with anxiety and stress? Great. Well, so a lot of it is about consistency. So for me, that means waking up in the morning and and before my feet hit the ground, I, I take a moment to connect with myself before the whole rush of the day, because it's easy to just jump ahead to like, what's going to go wrong today? What problems am I going to face? So to really come to center and think, you know, what do I, how do I want to approach this day? Who do I want to be today? And just, you know, it takes maybe 15, 30 seconds just to check in. And then uh, I'll generally do maybe 10 minutes of uh, gentle yoga in the morning as a way of waking up. Uh, in the evening, I also uh, do meditation practice. I've, it's varied over the years. Recently, I started uh, repeating Sam Harris's uh, introductory course. It's part of his Waking Up app, which I, I strongly recommend. Great introduction to really observing the mind and understanding what this thing called consciousness is that we experience. And, and then throughout the day, I think, I mean, for myself, for sure, and I recommend this for others, we need ways to you know, intersperse these moments of reconnection. So I find that mealtime is a great way to do that. So before each meal, I'll generally take three breaths, just a slow kind of calming breath. I tend to, I actually tend to close my eyes and put my palms together. It, it almost feels like a prayer. With the first breath, I just sense what's happening in my body. With the second one, I'll open my eyes, look around, you know, take in the people around me, maybe. I'll notice outside something about the, the season that we're in. So I really feel connected with where I am. Then with the third, I'll look down at the plate in front of me, take it in. And I'm not trying to make myself feel grateful, but just observing what's in our lives often leads to that sense of gratitude that's so tied to happiness. So I think you know, consistency is, is such a big part of it. And we can get more into the specific practices for anxiety, but I think for me, everything starts with that kind of connection and presence. Aria, I know that we can learn more about what you do at dr-aria.com, and it's D-R, 
and then the hyphen, A-R-I-A. So super easy to connect with you. But uh, is there any place else we should uh, connect? Anywhere else we can reach out and maybe learn more about the book? Well, Instagram is another great platform if you're on it. Um, I don't post as much on the main page, but I often have stories, so little drip drip reminders um, for that. So that's just at dr dot underscore a-r-i-a um and but you can see that uh, through the website and then yeah connecting with seth through his platforms as well yeah so seth where do we connect with you so the best place is you go to my website it's sethgillahan.com just my full first and last name and from there you can uh, access my books uh, blogs, my podcast, including two excellent conversations with Dr. Arya. And coincidentally, the website is being uh, totally redone in the coming days. So most likely by the time listeners go there, they'll see a new site. Great. So that's sethgillahan.com, S-E-T-H-G-I-L-L-I-H-A-N. Dot com And all of that will be in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Now, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, and I'll just alternate between you. Seth, I'll ask you the first question, and this is the question. Just 30-second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I would have to say Shoyam Trungpa. He's the author of Shambhala. There's a lot of controversy around his life some of the, the things that he did, but the words that he wrote, they just sang off the page for me. I couldn't believe nearly every page that I read just spoke to me, these experiences I had had, but it never quite put into words. He was capturing them perfectly. And to me, it's a lovely introduction to mindful presence. Arya, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? I was once... At a talk with the Dalai Lama, and I was I was dep- going through a clinical depression at the time, and it was in my early twenties. And someone asked a question to the Dalai Lama: "What would you do if you were depressed?" You know, as as a as a Buddhist. And first of all, he just laughed and said, "I wouldn't know. I'm not depressed," which I found ultimately uh, unhelpful. But then he did say something which resonated and stayed with me. He said, "Your emotions are like the waves on an ocean." Okay, sometimes they're bigger and sometimes they're smaller. And they're always there passing by. But deep below the waves, there's a calmness. There's a serenity. There's clarity and there's wisdom. And at any point in time, you can often find ways of, of going deeper within. You can operate from that place. So experiencing human emotions is human. And we don't want to avoid that, negate it. Uh, get rid of it. We want to experience the whole gamut of human emotions, but we also want to build up that grounded sense of self, which is deeper than and stronger than our emotions, which stays unwavered even whenever there are big waves on top of the surface. Now, Seth, you've already talked about breathing, but if we had a listener listening right now who thought, well, I've never paid any particular special attention to my breathing, what advice would you give them as a way to kind of get started and get focusing on this? So I would first set a specific time to practice because it's really easy to 
have an intention to do it, but then other things will inevitably get in the way. And then start small, you know, maybe a minute or three minutes or five minutes and just sit, notice the breath, be with those sensations and know that meditation is not about making your thoughts stop. The more we try to do that, actually, the more persistent the thoughts become. We just focus on the breath and then the mind will wander and we'll bring it right back. Aria, your book is really, really terrific. I, I think it's an excellent book, A Mindful Year, just to remind listeners what it's called. But do you recommend any other books related to mindfulness? One of my teachers in mindfulness was Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Zen master, and I feel very privileged to have uh, trained with him and spent time with him. So he, he's got oh, near to 100 books. Um, a Miracle of Mindfulness is one of them. Uh, your listeners have probably heard of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, there's another, some British scientist, um, Mark Williams, who wrote with uh, Danny Penman, Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World, which is another lovely introduction to mindfulness and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Uh, one of my favorite book, books is actually The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, which you know, isn't necessarily about mindfulness directly, but it really encompasses that, that spirit and understanding the mind and being present. Thank you. I loved Michael Singer as well. Mm -hmm. And Thich Nhat Hanh, it must have been a tremendous honor to have been a student of his. That's so exciting. Truly, truly was. It's, and it's those reminders that mindfulness isn't just about sitting down and meditating for five or 10 minutes. From that tradition, it's about the way that you live your life. It's So another way of approaching is if you're going to wash the dishes for a week, just try and wash them mindfully. If you're going to go for a five-minute walk, try and enjoy the feeling of the sun on your skin and the views around you. If you're going to help your kids with, your, with their homework, try and just focus on that one activity for five minutes. Or if it's a family meal in the evening, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can actually be remarkably simple. It's just taking that step and trying it. I've come to the place where I truly enjoy washing dishes now. <laughs> I really do. And that was, that was a big transition. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Seth, I want to ask you if there are any apps at all that you could recommend that can help with mindfulness. You know, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I would, I would recommend the Waking Up app. I think people have heard of maybe a couple of other mindfulness apps uh, before this one, but this one is it's it's different than any approached meditation that I've experienced before, and I've found it really kind of mind blowing in a in a great way. So I would recommend that. Okay, and like I said, we'll put them in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. It's been such a pleasure to interview both of you, Dr. Arya Campbell Dinesh and uh, Seth Gillahan. Thank you so much for being on the show, both of you. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce, for having us on. It's been a real pleasure. All the best to you both. Bye now. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the episode today. And I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Cascade Hypnosis Center. So maybe you do coaching, maybe you do healing, maybe you help people in other ways. You can use hypnosis and almost anyone can learn to use hypnosis. And Erica, my friend Erica Fleet over at the Cascade Hypnosis Center is a trainer and an extremely excellent trainer, top notch. As a matter of fact, because I just graduated myself from the program. So check it out. You can uh, use these tools to help people with weight loss, smoking, with painful experiences that they've had in their lives. And so many of these experiences are what are holding people back from achieving what they want in life. So check out the Cascade Hypnosis Center at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com. And now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.